to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of James, James chapter 1. So James chapter 1, we're going to go through verses 12 through 18 this morning, 12 through 18. We will start in the first verse, though, and read that through just to kind of get you guys going, and then we will do a little where we've gone so far, and then we will go on on from there. So James chapter 1, verse 1 starts off with James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in exaltation, but the, but the rich in his, in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than, than it withers the grass, its flowers fall, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away, in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been, has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which is the Lord, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he, he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived itself, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he will be brought forth, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so as we start off again, and just reminding us kind of where we've gone through the last couple of weeks to kind of bring you guys up to date. Okay, so the first week we talked about the testing, and there was a testing of the of, of the faith that produces patience. Remember the first week we talked about that? And so the producing of the patience was actually producing a toughness. Okay, so there was a toughness that was being produced within us, so that as trials came upon us, that we were able to have a toughness to be able to persevere to continue to go through those. The next thing that we talked about was that God's goal in this was to create a maturity. He didn't want us to be weak and feeble and and still little children. God wanted us to be mature. And so that as we continue to move forward and we have a toughness about us and we have a maturity, that maturity makes us automatically move over to be able to say, look, I can't do this. I need God to be able to work in and through me. Kind of like Pastor Don this morning. There's a maturity that's going through him that he's saying, look, I've done all that I can do. Now I have to rely on the Lord. And so as we have gone through our lives and as we continue to move forward, and hopefully over the last couple of weeks you've realized, hey, if I'm still a little kid in Christ, I need to kind of, I need to pick up the pace here. 
I need to be able to to realize that there are things in my life that I need to be able to to move forward and I need to be able to draw closer to the Lord and I need to be able to grow. The next thing that we talked about last week was wisdom. And and remember, the wisdom, there was a difference between wisdom, right? Knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge, Jonathan got this right this morning because he's my favorite, right? So knowledge this morning, so <laughs> he remembered this the sermon last week. Ashton was like, I don't know, was I there? So... <laughs> <laughs> so that was a joke this morning, so on the way here. So it's fun being a pastor's kid. So so I'm gonna test you guys next week. Get ready. So so anyway, so the difference between knowledge and wisdom, knowledge was just just head knowledge, just book knowledge. And you get a lot of that with professors, right? They sit in a classroom, they have a chalkboard, they say, Hey, this is the knowledge, this is what this book has taught me. And then there's wisdom. How do we actually apply that that knowledge? Okay, it's one thing to to have that, and I joked around that we have, we know we all know a lot of really smart people that can't like tie their shoes. Okay, so that that understand we understand that. Another thing too is a great illustration of this was was Stephen when he's being martyred. He goes through the whole history of of the Jewish nation, and when he gets to Moses, he talks about Moses being was more knowledgeable in in in, in wisdom and in in deed. I think it's wisdom and deed is what he talks about, and the fact that Moses he grew up in the the most knowledgeable atmosphere in, in the world at that time. They had more knowledge. I mean, it just that they were the the epicenter of everything at that moment. And Moses grew up in that. So he went to the finest university. He had all of this information inside of him. But it wasn't that he just had that. Moses was somebody that could get it done. Moses was able to be the one that they called upon and Moses could figure out what had to happen. And so God uses that. And so obviously Moses is going to be the one that, that moves into to be the Pharaoh, you know, the, the king of kings and all that kind of stuff there. And then God obviously has another plan. But God then uses that information and says Moses is a, is a get or done kind of guy. And that's the kind of person that we want to be as well. We want to be get or done kind of people so that God fills us with this information, but then we're the ones who are able then to go ahead and apply it to our lives. God gives us this information. And that's just a point that I want to sit here and just kind of, you know, spout out verses every once in a while to people. But how does it really apply to somebody's life? And so that's the difference between the knowledge and the wisdom and being able to apply it. And then again, how do we ask of him? How do we ask of God? He asked the question there, are you, are you doubting? Don't come to me if you're doubting. Don't come to me. With, you have to come to God and, and really know that he is your God. Is he your God this morning? And as you come before the Lord and you just, well, you know, you know, I kind of joked about that one guy with the different necklaces and he's praying to all the different gods just to make sure that he, he gathers all of his bases. But the point is, is you got to come to God and not be like a wave where your, the, your faith of your wave comes in and it's so strong and whew, comes to it comes to shore and then as it recedes so does your faith and it goes back out to sea and then you come in and whoosh, you're strong things are going hard in my life oh lord i love you so much and things sky down and you're like oh who is god let me go back to my ways and james says no don't do that don't do that you've got to be somebody who is stout within your faith and that when you come before him you're not like a wave that has no control over anything you're just kind of in and out no, you come to God, and when you ask of God with that faith, God looks at you and says, Oh, man, that's one of my children. That's one of the, my, my children that I love. The same thing with my kids. If they were to come to me, and they just, Daddy, just I, I just need this. And there's just a faith about them and the way that they love me. And of course I want to be able to meet their needs that they have that day. But if they've been gone and they're doing whatever they want to and they'd show up whenever they want to, well, if they showed up whenever they want to, it wouldn't be in my house. But if they were just, you know, in and out and just not paying any, no respect to their, their mother, no respect to me, and they're not, well, that, dad, I need this. I mean, 
who are you? You're not, you're my child. You, you've made no decision to be part of this family. Then how can I then turn around and turn around and want to bless you? I mean, that makes sense, does it not? I mean, we have to have a relationship with God. We have to have a, a faith in God. We have to have a belief in God. And as you go through the, the maturity factor and as you go through the growth and the knowledge and then you come before the Lord, well, then that's somebody who, who is a child of God. And hopefully that is us this morning. So then as we move into the next verse here, we move into 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will re- receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So blessed. Again, James uses the word blessed, and it's kind of a reminder. And again, as we talked about James being Jesus' brother, I'm sure he was around different situations and different times when Jesus preaches. But Jesus also used the blessed. Remember that in Matthew 5 when he does the, the, the Beatitudes? So it's almost like James is kind of twerking a little bit as far as what Jesus did. And he said, blessed, listen, blessed. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Endures, that you're going to persevere under the trial. That you're, that you're moving forward. It's like the apostles two weeks ago when we talked about the apostles, that, that they were enduring that, that time that they were gotten beaten. Remember we joked about that? And that they got out and they were like, yes, we got beaten for Jesus. That they didn't, they didn't pull back away. But he said here, it's, 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 a, it's a blessed is the man who endures this temptation. For when he has been, when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So we stand before the world and we, we stand before the Lord and we go through financial problems and we go through, through morality problems. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on with our society that we just don't agree with. And are we going to stand up to those things or not stand up that you're, woo, we're going to, you know, protest and there's a time maybe to protest, but are you first are going to live your life in a way that, that there's a difference between you and the world? Is, are you going to give into your morality so that just so that you fit within the world? Well, no, James says, look, you guys, we need to rise up and we need to be, to be at a higher morality rate. We need to be able to, to be able to stand firm with what we believe in. Your science, your belief, are you going to be able to do those things? A temptation here is, is the trial of man's fidelity, his integrity, his virtue. There's constancy. There's, it's also the enticement to sin, whether coming from the desires, your own personal desires, or from outward circumstances. So this, this temptation that comes upon you, it's a point where it's, it's either, you know, we always like to blame Satan. Oh, Satan's trying to get me today. Well, I'll tell you right now, 99.9% of the problem of my sin is me. It's my own flesh that's inside of me that's rising up that says something that, that it wants. It's, it rises up for a pride that I deserve this. It's my own problem. I, I want to, I don't want to blame Satan for that. Why? Because I've got my own issues. I look at myself and on my own life and it's, it's me. I want to point the finger at somebody else, at, at Satan or, or whatever, and, and it's it's me. I'm my own worst enemy. I don't need any help from Satan. He knows that. He sees my life and my desires, and, and he's like, ah, I don't have to worry about you. But where is your integrity during the trial? Where is your integrity that when you go through this problem, are you going to sit there and rise up above it, or do you kind of take a shortcut? Well, you know, I can't do this, so I'm going to kind of cheat on my taxes and get around that. Or I'm not going to pay this, I'm going to kind of move around and do this instead. Are there shortcuts within your life? Are you willing to take shortcuts because your integrity isn't high enough to to be able to stand that? Are you going to take the high road? And are you going to trust in the Lord to be able to be the one that provides for you? The one that is able to, to minister to you? Or are you going to take a short because, well, that's just how I've always done it. That's just what I do is I take shortcuts. 
Well, God's saying, no, I, I want you to be able to, to, I want you to be the one who endures temptation. I want you to be the one that, that passes the test. I want you to rise up above what everybody else in the world does. What everybody else is doing that, Kevin. I know. And Jesus said, narrow is my path. I'm not calling you to go through the large path. I want you, I want you to know that as a, as a believer of me, I'm going to call you to go through, through hard trials. And I'm going to test you and I'm going to perfect you. Why? Because I want you to be able to be that one that goes through that narrow path and says that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, how did you do that? How did you come overcome that? Well, I, I can tell you right now, it wasn't me. It wasn't my ability to overcome something through my own flesh. Well, see, really what happened is, you know, I found the shortcut and I, I kind of went behind the... Oh, wait, never mind. I, I, I did this instead. You know, you don't say that. We get we get accused a lot of times at at Trinity that we're we're um we're too honest, you know. Oh, those guys over there, they're like they're too honest. I'm like, what is that? I'm like, I thought there was either like you're honest or you're not honest, okay? But evidently, in the world standards, there is levels to that. Did you understand that? There's like people that they look at and they go, oh, that guy's really bad, okay? Where everybody would look at that guy and go, he is just bad, right? But in the world, there are actual levels to honesty. Well, I'm honest most of the time. Well, then no, you're not honest. You're either honest or you're not, correct? You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant, correct? You're either a sinner or you're not a sinner. I mean, these are just basic facts. But in the world, again, the world's morality, the world's understanding is that there are levels to everything. Why? Because it fits within what their own desires are. We all can go ahead and sit there and make up excuses for whatever problem that we have within our life. But what does it come back to? Typically, it comes back to my sin and then my relationship to my God. How big is your God? How big is your God to be able to to come with inside of here and say, hey, I need help with my temptation. God's going to come upon you and help you to go through that. Chuck Smith used to say that, um, you know, the, the, the approved here is, is passing a test. And Chuck Smith used to say that, hey, if God gives you a test, make sure you pass it. Okay, why? Because if you don't pass it, you're going to take the test again. And you're going to take the test again. And, and so Chuck Smith is sitting there saying, look, when you come into life and you come into different problems and God is actually testing you, praise the Lord. Why? Because now I get to show my total and, and needfulness of who God is within my life and I get to come to him. And we will receive the crown of life. We will receive, and, and I was reading this and, and several people, commentators were either like, hey, this is a, a crown, kind of like somebody who runs. And, and some commentators were saying, no, Paul would use that because he was talking to Gentiles. But James here was probably talking more something along what God would give us. Why? Because, because again, remember James, what we talked about, James isn't writing to Gentiles, right? James is writing to the early church. He's writing to, to Jewish Christians, people who had just come. So they're not Gentiles. They're not part of, of that side of the world. So they're, they're actually looking at it. God, God's going to come within my life and, and give me something as far as when we, how we recognize it is that he's going to give us the crown of life. He's going to give us, you know, through salvation. He's going to give us a blessing. He's, God's going to come upon you. So when you go and you pass that test and he comes along and says, Oh, Steve, great job, man. You passed it. You did great. And he turns around and he blesses you and he walks over you and he, and he is a part of your life. I mean, have you guys really felt that before? You get done with a trial in your life and, 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 and we all have and, and we've prayed for each other in this church and, and you go through a trial and you just, you get to the end of the trial and you're like, whew. you know, I mean, there's that deep breath. And that breath is, is the Holy Spirit is just coming in each other and saying, 
man, it, it, it's over. And, and you, you did it. You, you, you passed the test. You conquered it. And God gives you that, just that peace that, that, that just comes upon you and you just, you understand it and you're just like, Lord, thank you so much. I, I, I couldn't have done this without you. And, and that's, that, a lot of times people look at it too as far as God's going to bless you and God's going to give you things and, and, and there's some sects of Christianity looks at that that's, it's just going to be financial blessings and God's going to bless you with Jaguars and all this other stuff. And have, have you ever led anybody to the Lord before? Have you ever been that person that actually got to lead somebody to the Lord? I mean, that feeling when you get done, I think that's a blessing. I mean, you feel like you could just, you could take on the world at that moment. Have you ever prayed with somebody who just needed something at that moment? And they get done and they're like, you know, I, I was just asking somebody, the Lord just to send somebody to pray with me. And you were that person. God just put it on your heart. That's a blessing. I mean, that, that's the true blessings of what God does. God gets in and He just, He refreshes your spirit and then that comes in you and then that's, that's the, that's the crown of life. Christian, are you willing to be that, that instrument that God is willing to use to be able to infect and affect somebody's life? You know, so many times, again, we sit there and we look at our own our own personal problems and our, our own temporal areas of where we're at in our life, and oh, I really need this. And, and again, it gets back to us. And again, that's our flesh and, and what we're looking at. And, and God's saying, no, Christian, I, I need you to, to look elsewhere. I need you to be outgoing, and I need you to be on the outside. I need you to be looking at, at other people who need you. Remember, this is the same man, James, that says, hey, count it all joy. When? Again, Christian, we're, we're going to go through trials. Okay, so what does that mean? That, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come under a trial. I'm going to now come under a temptation. And he's preparing and saying, look, all this stuff is going to happen. Okay, so don't, don't be surprised. Oh, Satan caught me on that one. I wasn't expecting it. Why? You knew there was gonna be a temptation. We're gonna face temptations. We're going to face trials. That means that, hey, what do I need to do? I need to, and my maturity, I need to be on my knees in prayer, waiting for those things to happen. And Lord, I need you to empower me today. I need you to prepare me today for this test that I'm about to take. Why? Because, Lord, I want to pass this test. I want to be able to to accomplish this. Again, not for Kevin's glory, but God, I want it for your glory. I want to give you praise and I want those around me to see that, oh, Jesus is working something amazing within this guy's life. I just want to fall more in love with Jesus. And I want you guys to fall more in love than Jesus so that, that what happens is then we just draw closer to him and then we just walk in fellowship with the Lord. Again, one of my favorite people in the Bible is Enoch. Why? Because Enoch just walked with the Lord every day. And I think literally what happened is God was looking at him and go, dude, I just love hanging with you. Why don't you just come on up here? And Enoch was gone. I mean, what, what a great testimony. God was just, man, I just love fellowship with you every day. This is incredible. Man, just come on up here. Where is your walk? We, we have the ability because the, the, the veil is torn to be able to, to fellowship with God every single day. Every single moment, every single hour. We can just pick up the Bible and we can just read it. And we can just get on our hands and knees and we can just, we can just talk to God. That's an amazing thing. And so instead, what we do is when we go under these temptations and we go under these trials, we wither. Why do we wither? We should be empowered. Pass the test, Christian. Verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. 
Verse 13 says, so we're to endure the temptation, we're to go on and move through this. And so, so as humans, so many times we like to sit there and we like to blame God for whatever happens in our life. Do you ever hear that? Like the news, it's an act of God when there's a hurricane or there's a water. It's an act of God. Now, is it an act of God? I mean, God allowed it to happen. And I guess so many times we say, say well, hey, if God allowed it to happen, then it's an act of God. There's an act of God on that. A murder happens and everyone is there to say, how, if there was a God, how could he allow this to happen? How could he allow the, the mass shooting to happen if there was a God? We sin and we try to blame God for, for putting something there. You know, Adam, Lord, it was the woman that you gave me. No, it was your weakness and your flesh that allowed it to happen, Adam. It wasn't me. I gave you the entire garden. And the same thing with us is he's given us this entire world. He's given us rules. And yet we sit there and we try to blame God. See, but my problem with this is not all that part of it. My problem is, is that, that we would blame a pure and holy and loving God for tempting us with something that's evil. I think that's really the twist here. How could God, who is pure and holy and loving, tempt us with something that's evil? Psalm 145, 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. First John 1, 5 says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. See, he is pure, and in him there is no evil at all. God is pure. Isaiah 6, 3 says, The seraphim were singing, And holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. See, that in heaven, where there is no sin, where everything is perfect, still God is so perfect that he is the one who is worshipped. You understand that? So you get to heaven, and we're just in heaven, and, and there's no sin there, and we're like, Praise the Lord! And then there's God who is even more perfect he is the one in heaven that gets worshipped. I think it's at the end of First Timothy that he, we, we will approach him with unapproachable light at what it talks about God. Unapproachable light. And I've joked around before, if you ever drive you know, east in the morning time and that sun hits that perfect spot and you can't see at all, you know, I always think about that too with God is that you're, it's unapproachable. Like, I can't see anything. But just imagine when you get to heaven and you're just encompassed by the greatness of what God is. And you just get to just... Lord, you are just awesome. More than what we ever could imagine in this little finite brain, God is going to be even greater than that. An unapproachable light. And we're just going to immediately fall to our knees. And just like the seraphim singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, prepare your songs now. I mean, get ready. You know, Hannah's already practicing. She's got the guitar down. And, you know, I'm going to have to, like, scoot up next to her so when we're singing, you know, her voice will cover mine. But... um but it's, it's the point of that is that there's, there's no sin. So God is, is not going to tempt us with sin if he is not sin. Does that make sense as well? There's this great book, and it's actually on sale over there, uh, called The Attributes of God. It's by Arthur Pink, and it has all the attributes of who God is. You know, it's the, um, the knowledge of God, the foreknowledge of God, the supremacy of God. It goes all through the different attributes of who God is. At the end of one of the chapters here, it talks about it and says, Because God is holy, we should desire to be conformed to him. His command is, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1.16 We are not bidden bidden to be omnipotent. We're not bidden to be omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, as God is. But we are to be holy in that, in all manner of of deportment. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, um, He may sanctify us holy, and our whole spirit and soul and body preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The point is here is that we're not called to be all-knowing like God is. That's impossible, right? We're not called to be all-strong like God, right? We, we can't do those things. But what were we called to be? We are called to be holy like God. And so again, as I go back to this, and it says here, it says, let no one say he, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anybody. Okay, so if I've got a holy God and I've got a pure God who does not sin, why would he tempt me to then sin? Why would he tempt me to sin when, when he had to send his son Jesus to die for that sin? I mean, again, the argument just breaks down from there and this moves on and says, for, but, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. What really happens here? And, and James says, but, okay, so the, the transition here is he's going to change the argument. It says, but, James says, don't blame God because this is how it happens. There's four ways that it happens. The first one is, is our own desires. He says it right there. He says, our own desires. And there's a craving. There's a longing for what is forbidden. Okay, so we sit there and our own desires creep up. My own flesh creeps up. And there's something that I shouldn't want, that I, that I want now. There's something that I, that I shouldn't have that I want now. You know, food is good. But gluttony is sin. I had to say that because it's Thanksgiving. Sleep is good. Laziness is sin. Money is good. But greed is sin. See, God has God has given us desires. That, that's by a design. But it's what we what do we do with those desires afterwards? Again, so food is a good thing. When you eat too much of it, it's not a good thing. Okay, so too much of it becomes a sin. Everything in moderation is fine. But it's when we go outside of that, that that now becomes a sin. So our desires draw up, and that's what happens. The, the second thing in this is, is that we're drawn away from it. If that's what the word says, word says there. It says, drawn away, that's a, that's a lured away. It's also used for like a, a hunting or a fishing word is what it's there. The lure is actually a lure. Satan uses lures, kind of like we do with fish. You go fishing, you put a lure on there, and you want it to make it so enticing to that fish that he's like, hey, I've never seen that before. I want to grab that, and he grabs a hold of it. Well, the same thing happens in our life. And Satan uses the lures, or the world uses the lures, and they, they, we see those, and we just have it, and we just want to kind of, ah, let me just nibble on it. Let me just find out. And that fish will do that. He'll just bump it, make sure that it's something that's there. And then he'll come back and he'll bump it again. And then once he thinks it's okay, that's when he goes and grabs a hold of it. Well, the same thing with us is that, you know, again, Satan doesn't use different temptations. There's only so many. He just kind of repackages it. He just kind of makes it new. You know, we, we went to Dick's Sporting Goods when they had the new thing op- open and they had this big trailer out there full of water. It was Josh, Josh was with me. And, and there was this guy out there and he had this new lure, the newest and greatest thing. And he actually, they shipped down a thing of that he could practice with fish, you know, and you could see him. I just never see. I'm like, you, you ship this in from Arkansas or something. I mean, it's just crazy. You know, I'm like, this is really expensive to do this. Uh, there's a lot of money in little worm lures, I guess. But, um, who'd have known? I thought it was cars, but what do I know? So anyway, so, so he sits there and he said, he said, look, it just, he just repackages it. You know, we see this with King David with Bathsheba and men do this today. He sit there and they, they, they're drawn away and what they see, they, he kind of just looked at her and he kind of just continued to linger and he just kind of continued to watch her. And then King David, he knows better. You know, he's already got like 90 wives and 400 concubines, but that wasn't enough. I could have one more. And as he looks at Bathsheba and then that he's just kind of lured and he's kind of drawn away and he's kind of looking at her and he's kind of thinking. And, and so, so many times we sit there and we don't look at, we just think about the now. We're not thinking about the consequences that happen down the road. 
And so as that sin is there and that temptation's there, it causes an emotion and it causes a feeling. And so we sit there and we just we justify it because of this emotion and this feeling that I have right now. And that wow, I've got, I've got to have it, right? I just I just have to. And your your total brain shuts down of anything that will happen in the future, any consequences that might happen in the future. Why? Because right now I'm being drawn away, I'm being enticed by this little lure. And unfortunately, I've I've heard many men, and and this is not just one, so it must be a psychologist telling somebody this is the reason why, and that they're the reason that they've left their wives is that they were that they love her, but they're not still in love with her. I'm like, what? How do you, how, how does that even make sense? But that's what psychologists say, and that's what their counselor will say. Well, you know, you you love her, but you're just not in love with her. Oh, so the actual part of love is there, but it's just not the, the emotion of love that's not there. That's what you're talking about, really. And so that's the sin that happens there is that it's the emotion, it's the feeling that, well, I don't have the warm fuzzies in the more anymore. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I've been married 19 years and there's times where we have the warm fuzzies. And then there's times where, you know, we got to work, you know, you got three kids and there's not time for warm fuzzies and there's just time for responsibilities in life. And you got to go to work and I got to go to work and, you know, see on the flip side. I mean, it just happens in life, you know? Anybody else ever experienced that? You know, just life happens. Life happens, yeah. That's the real premarital counseling that happens right there. You're like, yeah, this feeling right now, yeah. Just, just enjoy it, you know, because life's gonna happen, man, and and that's fine. But that's where real love takes over, because again, it's not the Lord. It's not just the the emotion there. Who's into verse fifteen, and he says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin. When it is full grown, brings forth, brings forth death. And desire has conceived and it gives birth. It's kind of the same word that they use for, for women giving birth to children. So instead of having a child, you have sin. So you've given birth to sin. You've allowed that, that lure to come in and you've now acted upon it and you've given birth to this sin, whatever that you've desired to do. And it's no longer an emotion, but it's a real life thing. And then as it continues, it's a full grown, brings forth death. And full grown means to having to come to maturity that's, that's accomplished. And death is a metaphorically, it's, it's the loss of that life, which, which alone is worth of the name. It's sad because you, you sit there and you see so many people that will have sat there and they, and I'm just going to use this as, as the example. And it just popped to me last night. You know, we, we knew a pastor in, in Fort Lauderdale, a large ministry at the time. And, you know, he, he had an affair, had several. And very sad and very, very powerful man, very, I mean, instrumental in what the Lord was doing for quite some time. But he, like King David, followed the path of what James is saying here. He sat there and he allowed himself to, to linger and he allowed himself to, to kind of be lured and, and looked at it, maybe read his own press and said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm greater than that. I can do these things. And then he allowed that to then give birth to a sin and then it continued to grow until it was full grown. And so many of us right now, probably in this, this room, there's, there's something. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not an extramarital affair. Maybe it's not, it, maybe it, maybe it's eating. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's your finances. Maybe it's something that you're just kind of, just kind of thinking about. You're just kind of nudging it. And the Lord keeps knocking and saying, man, that's, that, that's wrong. You don't, don't do it. 
And then the world would sit there and many Christians would sit there and say, well, well, I had to do it because, well, God tempted me. And James says, no, no, right here, I'm, I'm telling you what happened. When God, God wouldn't do that to you, he might allow a test to come into your life, but he didn't tempt you with sin. See, that, that was you. And that was your own desire and your own wanting and your own playful attitude and your own disregard to know what was right and what was wrong. And then you allowed it to continue to move forward and then you, you played with it and you dabbled with it. And then as King David, we go back to him as he, while looking at Bathsheba, he just sat there and looked until he justified it in his mind. And a lot of us will do the same thing. And what will happen is you'll sit there and you'll, you'll just kind of wear down, you know, the, the I don't feel good about this. I don't feel good about this. And then it's, oh, it's not that bad, you know. Well, I guess I could do that. Uh, you know, God will forgive me. And, you know, I mean, so you sit there and you just continue to, to, to wear it down and to numb it down. And then you don't feel any numbness and you feel numbness, you don't feel anything and you just move forward from that point. And James says, well, that's, that's what you have to worry about. Because why? Because again, if you've, you've done the first 11 or 12 verses here and you've gone back and you've, you've drawn closer to the Lord and you've, and if anybody lacks wisdom, he says, please come to, come to God. I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you liberally. I only just give you a little bit, a little smidge here. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna overload you with wisdom if you need it. But we don't want that. Why? Because I, I want that apple. I want that fruit. Why? Because Satan has enticed me and said, "Hey, there's something here that God's holding back out on you." What? God's holding out on me? Whoa, I, man! He's not giving me everything. Oh no, God has given us everything. Verse 16. It says. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits or creatures. Do not be do not be led into error. John ten ten says that the enemy has come to steal and to kill and to destroy i have come that i've come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly see again as we 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 favor the enemy and we'll give him ear at times we we kind of forget that really the only purpose that the enemy has is that he wants to just destroy us and again if you're a christian today and you're sealed and and you're a believer and you're going to heaven well then he can't get your soul but what can he do well he can get you off the track and he can make you useless and he can just make a useless Christian at you and he can just kind of put you over in the corner and then he can go worried about somebody else. You know, if you're not under attack by the enemy, then you should probably be worried about that. Well, then am I living a life that's that I'm doing something for God then? You know, I mean, if he's if he's not coming after me, then that means I'm really not, I'm, a, I'm useless. What am I doing here? He's come to still kill and destroy. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus was able to come across on this this planet, and and, and again, we're not. I, I'm not. I never can be Jesus. I can never be sinless. But isn't it refreshing to know that that I have a Savior that understands the trials and the struggles? I, I think James would have loved to have write that too, because again, as we talked about the first week, that that James was with him all the time. 
And James got to, to see Jesus just walking and being perfect all the time. And, and you know, at, and at a young age, he probably didn't appreciate that. And then now James being older probably looked at Jesus and said, man, I really wish I had spent more time with my brother and just really talked to him and was was just able to fellowship and really just grow that friendship so that I could have just, just taken in all that information that Jesus knew. Oh, it was wasted time. And he, but he looks back to us and he says, look, don't, don't be deceived. Look, you're going to come on these struggles and, and you're going to be tempted and don't allow your desires and don't, don't, just don't be deceived. Christian, it's going to be hard, but don't, don't, don't be led into error. And he uses that word brethren again. Why? Because he, he's, he, he's recognizing I'm, I'm one of you. It's, it's us. We're brethren. We're brothers in Christ. Again, he uses that word 15 times in this, in this book, in this letter that he writes to them. He said, I, I'm your brother. And I'm experiencing it too. And, and, and together, we just we need to be able to draw closer to Jesus and to God. James says, listen, every good and perfect gift comes is, is from God. It's from Him. He's, God's created the heaven and the earth, and, and He has sent His Son, and He's provided salvation for us, and the Holy Spirit, He's given it to us. And, and there's breath, and there's water, and there's air, and there's clothes, and there's, there's even in the midst of the, of the calamities, God has, has given that as a gift to us. Don't don't be deceived. Don't don't blame it on him. He loves you. A couple of months back, I taught on First John four eighteen, and God is love. Do you guys remember that? God is love. It wasn't God is loving. Okay, God. Just the encompass of who God is. God is love. I mean, you can't separate the two of them. It's it's like the characters of of, of love is God, and, and the characters of God is love. I mean, they're just they're just together. So again, every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Why? Because because He loves you. I mean, as, as the more that you read this book, it's, it's you got to understand that as as you read it, as as God He wrote this for us because He loves us. He He gave us His Son. Why? Because He loves us. He allows things to come into our lives. Why? Because He He loves us, and He cares for you intimately, each one of you, and He's able to meet your needs like nobody else can. Well, I have a pastor. Yeah. I mean, a pastor is busy. I, I can't be there 24-7. And even if I was, I would fall short. I promise you. I would fall short. I fall short in my own house. I'm definitely going to fall short in yours. I just can't meet the needs of, that's not who I'm supposed to be. But God says, I, I, I want to be there. I, I want to be part of your life. And I want to meet your needs. And I want you to come to me and pray to me and pour out your heart to me so that when you go through these trials and temptations that I can come in and I can be the one that helps you. Why? Because it is me. That's my job. And Jesus said, look, I, I have to leave. Why? Because I'm going to send one that's better. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you a counselor that's going to be able to be in you and with you at all times. Why? Because if Jesus was still here... We have, what, a second with him, maybe, if he was in your town? I have the Holy Spirit all the time, and I can just come to him, and just Holy Spirit just be with me and guide me and protect me this day. God is loving and perfect. In Matthew seven eleven, it says, If you then, talking about us, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts, good things, to those who ask him? He's comparing it to would a, would a father give, you know, if Jonathan came to my room, my room and needed water, would I give him a scorpion? Would I, you know, would I do something like that? Well, no, of course not. It's my son. I'm going to give him the best that I can possibly give him. 
And he says, well, how, how if you, Kevin, being evil, would give good gifts, well, don't you think the Father in heaven would give great ones as well? Now, again, I know Santa, Christmas coming up, he's, he's not Santa Claus. He's not saying that. He's not saying, well, ask for this and I'll give you that. And I'll get, you know, no. It still has to be within his will and his purpose. And you have to be willing to come to him and know, hey, Lord, whatever it is that you want in my life. Again, we talked about that too, the, of when are we going to get to that point where it's, it's, it's no longer praying for just what Kevin wants in his life and how can Kevin be used. It's, it's taking the me out of this and going, you know what, God, here it is. Lord, what, what is it that you want in my life? Help me where I'm at today to be able to get through these trials. Why? One, to give you glory, but then to get my focus back on what is it that I got to do for God today? How, how can I do that? And so as God sits there and says, look, if, if you're, if you being evil, will give good gifts to your children. Don't you think that I will? Again, going back to God is love and God is pure and holy. He wants to do those things. I think it's interesting too that he references him that that he's the father of lights. Okay, and I really didn't get this until last night. I was thinking about all the creation. Oh, he created the sun. and he, Well, actually, he created light too, didn't he? Hello? You know, so it's like he's the father of lights. He's literally the father of lights, okay? He said, let there be light, and it and it happened type thing. And so he's literally the father. And so if you look at that, God is just, God is light. And he's spoken, and it happened. It wasn't, hey, let me let me take a certain amount of time and kind of figure this out and blueprint it and stuff like that. God just spoke, and there was light. Let there be light. And bam, it happened. Again, First John 1, 5 says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. See, there's no variation of lights. There's no shadows. There's no nothing like that too. And again, this, I, to me, it's, it's an illustration between that, you know, maybe there's a, maybe a side that we haven't seen to God. Maybe there's a shadow. Maybe there's a, a shifting with whatever he's trying to do. No, God is, God is pure and God is perfect. And God is light. God is pure light. Did you know the, 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 the reason that you have darkness is because there's actually absence of light. Darkness can't overcome light. The only time that you have darkness is because there's not light that's there, it's present. And so God, God says, look, there's, James says, look, there's, there's no shadows. There's no, there's no thing, something that you haven't seen of God. No, God is, is perfect and it's pure and he's holy. And when God is there, it's just the light takes over. God doesn't change. Nature might change. Nature might change within how things happen and move around, but God is, God is there. God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He never changes. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord. I change not. It's impossible for Him to do that. So as this gift comes down from heaven and it's perfect and it's pure and it's holy from a perfect and pure and holy God, James says, it's good. Every perfect and perfect gift is good from the Lord. Verse 18, and he closes here and he says, or I close, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that he might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James takes us from all of the creation to God, brought the gospel to us that we might be saved. It's the word of truth is the gospel. And so as, as he comes forth and he, and he brings this to us, is, is we've got, you know, sin brings death and then life follows light. And as we, we come into his presence and God sits there and, and, he, and he looks upon us to be those first um, fruits from him, you know, again, as, as we move into the holiday seasons, one of the things that I was thinking about is, 
and, and kind of talking about for the last couple of weeks is, you know, it's the gospel that we have to give. And I know that this is the time of year as, as Christians and we, um, we like to, to kind of make sure people say Merry Christmas to us and things like that. And, and, and I'm all for that. Don't get me wrong. Okay. I'm, people should say Merry Christmas, but, but again, it's the world. And, 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 and again, I think sometimes we get, we get off on what we really should be focused on at this time. I, I really don't care about what cup of Starbucks gives me. Okay. I don't care if the person at Target tells me Merry Christmas. What I really should care about is does that person know who Jesus Christ is? And so see, my, my focus is it's Merry Christmas. Why? Because it's the birth of Jesus Christ. And so again, as we have been given the greatest gift that could possibly be given and through Christ. And so we have that. And then I think the enemy allows it to come into the point where we rise up in our own flesh and our own rights. And understandably, I mean, I, I, I don't, I wish people said Merry Christmas and I don't want demonic cups if they're demonic. I don't know if they're demonic or not, but people say they are. So I don't want to get sidetracked on stuff like that when we have the greatest gift that anybody could possibly receive and give them gospel information at this time of the year. You know, this is the easiest time to actually tell people about Jesus. I mean, people are expecting to hear it. Why? Because they see the manger. They know what Christmas is about. I mean, it's very easy at this time of the year, and yet we so get so sidetracked on making sure that they say Merry Christmas instead of having the focus be on us having the ability at this time of the year to share Jesus Christ with somebody. And I would say to you guys during this time of the year is to pray through how would God use me to be able to present the gospel to somebody. Who in my sphere of people do I know that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't go to church, that doesn't have a relationship with a church or a God? How, how do I then minister to that person? And then how do I bring them to church? Because again, right here, if, if, if we are those, be kind of first fruits of his, cre- of his creatures, that I, I want to be that. I want to be the person that is able to then present the gospel to people during this season. This is our season. This isn't Santa Claus season. This isn't whatever they've whatever new holiday that they've created this year for that. Whatever new cartoon that they've presented as far as you know, Festus for the rest of us type thing. You know, Seinfeld or, or whatever it is. It's 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 the fact that it's 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 Jesus's birthday, and that's what we need to be focused on during this time, so that people can come to know Him. We want to sit there and we want to we want to have a prayer list. We want to have people that we're praying for to come. But then the, the ultimately responsibility then comes back on the church to say, well, who in my my area can I pray for, and can that person then come to church? And again, this is not for this church to grow. Obviously, it's for the kingdom of God to grow. I, I want people to to be in heaven when we get there. I want it to be like full capacity, just just standing room only. I don't want us to look around and say we've got plenty of seats. And I know it breaks down. I don't get on the theology and yell at me and God knows who's going to be there. I know that. It's an illustration. But where are you at today, Christian? Are you a believer in here this morning that says, man, I'm, I'm going through it and, and, I'm, and I'm having struggles and, and uh, maybe my, my life isn't right with the Lord. And I know that most of us know each other and pretty much we all know each other. And, but where are you at today? Are you are you struggling? Are you stumbling? Is there a time that you need prayer today? If if you need prayer, again, I'm I'm available afterwards. And if you want to pray, then I'm asking you to come forward. If there's a if you need to rededicate your life, again, we all know each other, but again, 
Some of us are able to deceive better than others and maybe things aren't right in your life. And you're like, and, and I'm telling you, today is the day for that to be corrected. Why? Because again, if, if the enemy is able to, to put you on the sideline, then, then you're of no value to the, to the kingdom for this next month of Christmas time and for the next years of your life. And I want to make sure that I'm, I'm in the game. Again, I don't want to be, you know, Joshua was, before he played tackle football, it was like, I want to play this position, I want to play this position. And I'm like, dude, you just want to be on the field. It doesn't matter where you're at on the field. You're on special teams, awesome. If I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm whatever, left guard, I'm, I'm on the field. I'm left guard. It doesn't matter if I'm a running back or it doesn't matter if I'm a quarterback. I just want to be on the football field. Well, Christians, are, are we on the football field today? Are you on the field of play when everything is happening now. Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.